0: five-year-old boy went to his very first funeral. And uh, while he was there, he heard the pastor who was officiating read from Genesis 3.19. Genesis 3.19 says, From dust you have come, and to dust shall you return. So the little boy went home, and later on that day, he's playing in his room when one of his toys rolled under his bed. He climbed under the bed to retrieve the toy and came scrambling out as fast as he could, shouting at the top of his lungs, Mom, Mom, come quick! Somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> Part of my role as a pastor means I'm at cemeteries a lot. Whether I'm officiating at a, a graveside service or attending the funeral of someone from a church member's family. I, I get the opportunity to be in a lot of cemeteries. And cemeteries to me are interesting places. I especially enjoy those that I've never been to before, particularly those that have been around a while, um, because you see tombstones of people who lived and died hundreds of years ago. And in some, uh, particularly in the South, you will go into into cemeteries and see the gravestones of people who died even during the Civil War and earlier times. Cemeteries are gathering places. For families, it's, it's where families and friends gather to grieve and to cry and to hug each other and to offer words of sympathy and comfort. There's usually a minister officiating. You know, he's opening up the Word of God and he's sharing some scriptures. All designed to help the family face a future without that loved one. This morning, we're going to go to a cemetery with Jesus. We're closing out our message series, Wonder looking at some of the amazing, miraculous things that Jesus did. And we've identified a lot of important concepts. We've seen, for example, um, that it's important for us to remember, remember that Jesus' miracles really did happen. We live in a skeptical, doubting age, don't we? But we can place faith and trust in what's recorded in this Bible that what it tells us really did happen. In fact, we get a little bit removed by time and distance. We get a little bit removed by words on the printed page. It must have been mind-blowing. Can you imagine? Think about the story we looked at last week. A man who everybody knew had been blind from the day he was born, and suddenly he's walking around seeing. What effect would that have on people? We've seen that Jesus did those wonders. He performed his miracles because of his compassion for people who were hurting, people who were, were sick, people who were in pain, people who were in need. And we've seen that God still does miracles. He he wants to reach into our impossible situations and bring healing and deliverance and strength. This week we're going to look at another one of Jesus' wonders. A time when by His power, Jesus proved that with God all things are possible. And he showed that death is never, never final. If you have your Bible, open it up to the book of John in the New Testament. The Gospel of John it's the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you get to Acts or Romans, you're going too far. You need to go back to the left in that case. And as you're turning there, I'm curious. I'm curious how many of you would say right now that you need God. You need God really need God to do something supernatural in your life, raise your hand. If you need God right now, you could use a touch of God. You need God to act on your behalf. Raise your hand and keep it up. Let me see it. All over the building, folks. What I hope is that for you today, this story about a man named Lazarus. The miracle of Lazarus. A man brought back from the dead. I hope that that speaks to you today and I hope it brings you hope in the situation that you're in. We're going to start off in John 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now let's pause right there and orient ourselves in this story just for a second. And look at what's going on here. This is that time when family members are in that moment of panic. This is when the doctor has said, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. We can maybe make them a little comfortable, but the end now is inevitable. And the panic starts to rise. Because they, they don't know where to turn and then somebody says Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we've seen you do miracles before. We know that you can do it, and we need some help, and we need it right now. Things are not good. It's not looking like they're going to get any better. We need you, Jesus, right now. These people are Jesus' dear friends. He has stayed in their home. He's eaten with them. They probably support his ministry in some way. They may have even at times traveled with Jesus. Since that larger group, other than just his his 12 closest followers, folks kind of drifted in and out of that. Maybe Mary, Martha, Lazarus at different times had followed Jesus. And so they send out the word. We need you, Jesus. Lazarus is sick. He's about to die. And Jesus speaks in verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. In other words, I know it looks bad, but things are not going to end up the way you think they are. I know it looks hopeless, but there's hope. I know it's difficult. But something better is coming. Jesus goes on. No, it happened for the glory of God. So that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Again, Jesus is saying, I know things don't look good on your end. But what you need to understand is that there is a divine strategy at work here. I I know things look bad, but God is at work. And there's something going on behind the scenes. And when I'm through with this everybody is going to say there is no way that could have happened except by the power of God. And God is going to be glorified in it. I'm going to do something and God is going to have to be given glory because of what happened. You know, there may be some people here this morning facing some things and and you're saying, "I, I don't get it. Things are just going the wrong way. I don't understand it, and I don't know what's going on. And you feel like that you're getting beat up by your enemy. But I want you to know something. God may be saying, this sickness in your life, this circumstance, this issue, this pain, this problem, whatever it is, will not end in death. It will not end in death. God is saying, I'm at work. And when I'm through, it's going to be undeniable that my hand was in it. And everybody's going to have to worship me. This sickness will not end in death. You like scary movies? I don't like them. I watch them, but I don't like them. I watch them like this. Somehow we think that if we limit our field of vision, it's going to be less terrifying. Sometimes I will watch, we've got these glass doors in our living room, between that and our front room. Sometimes I'll watch the reflection of the movie, because that's a little less scary than looking at the TV, right? So uh, play a little game with me. I'm going to give you a a phrase, or maybe a tune, or, or something from a scary movie, and if you know it, I just want you to to shout out the movie it's from, okay? Just shout it right out. All right, you ready? Let's see how good you are. Dun-dun. Jaws. Ah, Jaws. <laughs> when that movie came out, I lived 400 miles from the nearest ocean. And I was still scared to death to get in the water. I promise you. We, you know, we'd go to Smith Lake in North Alabama and you're doing this. We'd get in a swimming pool, and somebody'd go da <laughs> da. How about this one? This should be an easy one. E e e eek, eek. Ah, couldn't take a shower for years after that. Well, not without doing this. It's hard to get clean, you know, when you're constantly having to make sure nobody's in there. Plus, you know, I had brothers. Yeah, and they thought it was funny to suddenly be standing outside the shower curtain with a knife raised up. It wasn't too funny. I also had little brothers, and it was real funny to stand outside his shower <laughs> curtain with the knife raised up. How about the, uh, the babysitting one? When a stranger calls. Remember that one? One of the scariest scenes ever. And what did the killer say when he called? Have you checked the children? Oh, my goodness. Listen, if you need counseling or prayer, we'll provide that for you afterwards. (laughs) You know, I just thought, in my world, checking the children takes like 45 minutes. (laughs) Even just to find them all. (laughs) How about the sixth sense? Remember that? With that twist at the end? And that little kid, what did he say? I see dead people. I see dead people. Guess what? So do I. I'm not joking. I see them every day, I see them everywhere. I see dead people, I see them in the stores. I see them on the road. I see them on the sidewalks. I see them in churches. I see dead people, and so do you. If you're taking notes, write this down. You can be dead while you're still alive. Absolutely. You can be dead while you're still alive. There are a lot of dead people walking around, and they look like they're alive, but they're dead. They're dead spiritually. Or maybe they're dead relationally. They have a relationship that's died. Or maybe they just are dead in in regard to hope. They have no hope for a better future. All around me I see dead people who are just existing, just floating through life, hoping that one day things will get better, but it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I see dead people, alive on the outside, dead on the inside. And that just might describe someone here this morning. Back to our story. I just untied my shoe. Give me a minute. Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll end up flat on my face up here. I don't think anybody wants to see that. Well, maybe you do. I'm going to summarize some for you. Verses 5 through 15. You read all the details later if you want to. But Jesus gets word. His dear friend, friend of the family, Lazarus, is dying. And you know what Jesus does? waits. I mean, we we struggle with that because we would grab the car keys, jump in the car and take off. But Jesus waits. He waits two days. And then guess what? Lazarus actually does die. And Jesus waits a little bit more. And then he says to his followers, come on, let's go back to Judea. They, They lived in Bethany. That's where Judea was. Uh, but there was a problem with Judea. See, the last time Jesus had been in Judea, they tried to kill him. The Bible says they took up stones to kill him, but he got away. He walked away. Now, I don't know how that happened, but he didn't, they didn't kill him, obviously. But when he says that, let's go back to Judea. His disciples ever so gently remind him, um, Jesus, Judea, that's where they tried to kill you last time. We don't want to go there. Jesus says, we got to go. My friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I've got to go wake him up. And so they left on their journey. Now, I want us for just a moment to take a look at three people who are involved in this story. All three of them were just as dead as Lazarus. They looked like they were alive on the outside, but something inside of them was dead or dying. They were caught in some death traps. And maybe some of us can relate to one or more of them this morning. First of all, let's look at one of Jesus' followers named Thomas. Now, we know Thomas better as what? Doubting Thomas. So in your notes then, it's no surprise, Thomas was fighting deadly doubt. Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. His followers say, not a good idea. They will kill you. And you know, you know, I know it's because that I am a cynical and sarcastic person. You may not have known that about me, but I have just a touch of cynicism and sarcasm. Me, Because I do, I can hear that in what Thomas says in verse 16. Look at it. John eleven sixteen. 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. See, I think it sounded like this. Well, come on. Let's go die with Jesus. See, right now Thomas is thinking things aren't good. <laughs> this situation is not good and it's going to get worse. And there may be some people here this morning facing that Thinking that same thing. Facing very real spiritual doubts. Dying on the inside from spiritual doubt. I love the story about the little boy who was afraid to go in the basement. And his mom canned a lot of food and kept it down in the basement. But every time she would ask him to help her out by running down to the basement and getting something for her, he would refuse to do it. One day she said, son, will you go down in the basement, please, and get me a jar of tomatoes? He said, no, I'm afraid of the basement. And in a moment of inspiration, mom had a thought. And she said, son, what you need to understand is Jesus is in the basement. You'll be fine. The little boy said, Jesus is in the basement? His Mom said, Jesus is in the basement. So he goes and opens the door, looks down the stairs and says, Yo, Jesus, throw me a jar of tomatoes. Hey, listen, in your situation, in your circumstance, in what you're facing, Jesus is there. It may not feel like He's there, but He's there. Some of us have prayed for something that hasn't happened. And it seems like heaven is silent. And some of us are wondering, God, here I am, I'm praying and nothing's happening. Are you even there? And if you are there, are you you good? Are you good like they tell me he is? Like the Bible makes you out to be? And if you're good and you're there, can you please do something about this situation? And if you can do something about this situation, why haven't you? I don't understand. Is it me? Is it you? You? Something's wrong. Some of us, just like Thomas, are battling deadly, deadly doubts. And then there's Martha. Some of us will be able to relate to her. Martha was fighting deadly impatience. Her problem was that it was taking Jesus too long to get anything done. (laughs) and She's about to let him know it. But first, look at verse 17, John 11:17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Four days. Now, now see there's dead, and there's dead dead. I mean, there's dead and there's re- really dead. When Jack Bauer dies on 24, he ain't really dead. Because in just a minute somebody's going to come and give him a shot and he's going to open up his lives and just go right back to kick and tail like he always does. That's what happens. He's not really dead. But four days is really dead. That's dead dead. Four days the body is starting to uh, smell a little bit. You got, most of you know, my dad was a career law enforcement officer. And he, he laughs. He watches these police shows on TV and just laughs. As he says, you know, they, they come across a body that's been in a dumpster or in the woods or something for days, and they're all just walking around like it's nothing. He said, no, that's, that never happens. He used to carry Vicks Vapor up with him. He said, you had to put that up your nose to be able to even stand to be around a dead body. It's been four days. If you want to have some fun, look up verse 39 in the King James Version. And if you don't know whether it's King James Version, if it's got one of those naked baby angels on it, it's probably a King James Version if that's on the cover. And look up John eleven thirty-nine. because it's speaking about Lazarus' body, it says, it stinketh. With my hand up, it stinketh. I don't know why, but that cracks me up. That's fun. Where were we? Something to do with Lazarus. Yes, John eleven twenty one. 21. Martha. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, maybe it's, it's my personality. But I don't hear someone just expressing sorrow. I don't hear someone saying, Oh, Jesus, I wish you could have been here to talk to him before he passed away. He was asking about you. What sure would have been nice if you could have been here? I don't, I don't hear it that way. Maybe that's the way it happened, but I think there's a touch of an accusation in what she says. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Four days ago, we sent you word that he was dying. What took you so long? You could have been here in, a, in less than a day. You could have walked here in less than a day. And it took you four days to get here. What were you thinking? She's battling deadly impatience. You know anybody like that? Some single people maybe who want nothing more in life than to get married and share their life with another follower of Jesus. And all their friends are getting married. Nothing's happening for them. And others who are already married been married for a long time, and they've got a marriage that's in trouble, and they've been praying for it and hoping and longing for it to get better and it's not getting any better and I know people who are praying for God to touch their physical bodies, heal them or maybe touch the body of someone that they love and, and heal them and Or one of the saddest. There are people that we love and our greatest prayer is that they would have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the harder we pray, the farther they seem to get away from God. And we think, what's going on? Why the delay? Thomas is fighting his doubts. Martha's fighting her impatience. And then there's Mary. And her struggle may have been the most difficult. She's fighting deadly discouragement. Go back up to verse 20. Check Mary out. It says, when Martha got the word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. I bet she did. But Mary stayed in the house. She just stayed home. Why bother? My brother's dead. We've already buried him. It's been four days. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. What's the use? And you feel her discouragement? Just in that sentence, Mary stayed in the house. I see dead people all the time. Dead in their discouragement. You know, I I tried to overcome this sin. I tried to get around this issue. I I tried to get past this addiction thing, but I just can't. And you know, I I prayed, and I went to this class, and I got counseling, and I went to this conference, and I read that book, and I tried this, and I tried that, but I guess things are always going to be this way for me. Oh, other people, their prayers get answered, not mine. I'm never going to be happy. Everybody else is going to get what they want. Everybody else is going to be happy. Everybody else is going to overcome, but I'm not. It's just no use. So there's a question I'd like for you to answer for yourself, and you've got to be very, very, very honest. Ask yourself this, what in my life is dead or dying? What in my life is dead or dying? Maybe it's your faith. You know, one time you, you had a deep faith, a real faith, and you were intimate with God, and it seemed like His Word just jumped off the page, and He would speak to you, and, and you'd do what He asked you to do, no questions, and you experienced the joy of life with Him, the, the joy of obedience, and then somehow it just kind of went away. Maybe it's a relationship. And I know we we talk about these things over and over and over again, folks, because people are struggling with this. They're in relationships that used to be vibrant and alive. It was refreshing. And now it just drains them. It sucks the life out of them. They desperately want things to be different. Maybe financially. I mean, somebody looks like they've got it all together. On the outside, it appears like everything is just great. They've got everything we've been taught to want. They've got the cars and the house and the clothes and the toys. But the truth is, their debt is killing them. Their debt is deadly. Sometimes Grayson will get himself a glass of water. And those are red-letter days in a house with six children. When your child can do something for themselves... It's woo circle that day on the calendar in red, and next year we'll have a party because he can do it himself. You know what he does? Sometimes, not all the time, he'll fill that glass up so full that the least little bump will make it spill. Some people live like that. They're so full of hurt and fear and anxiety and doubt that the least little nudge is going to make a big mess. Jesus is right in the middle of a situation where, where emotions could not possibly run at any higher level. Where anxiety and pain and anguish are at the highest point. And look at verse 33. When Jesus saw them weeping and saw the other people wailing, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Jesus was hurting in this situation. Jesus was struggling in this situation. For some strange reason, I take some hope from that. Jesus was hurt. Jesus was troubled. Jesus struggled. He's been there. He's been where you are. He's been where we live. Verse 34, where have you put him? He asked them and they told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Think about that. Think about the irony of that. Here's the Son of God who was about to do what? Raise a dead man. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that at any moment he could speak a word and his friend is alive again. And yet he wept. Why? Because he could feel their pain. He wept because that's how much he feels and cares for his people. He wept because he was hurting and he was crying because his people were hurting. So where is Jesus today? I mean, the scripture says he, he is high and exalted, sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying for you. And I believe with everything in me that when we're hurting, He's praying. And when we're hurting, He's weeping. If you're hurting today, Jesus hurts with you. If you weep today, Jesus weeps with you. Some of us are caught in the gap between death and the resurrection. And we don't see anything happening. We can't identify anything. We don't feel anything. Our doubts are bigger than our faith. And and, and we're impatient and we're discouraged. But I want you never to forget this. God's delays are not His denials. God's delays are not His denials. Think about it. We talked about Joseph a few weeks ago. Twelve years in prison, and all he'd ever done was the right thing over and over and over again. Think about Moses. He wanders 40 years in the desert working for his father-in-law, then goes to Egypt, helps lead the people of God, the children of God, out of slavery and bondage so they can wander again for 40 more years. Or How about, how about poor Noah building a boat for a hundred years waiting for the rain. God's delays are not God's denials, but listen, to get around that, to battle through doubt and impatience and discouragement, we've got to be able to answer a question. Why did Jesus come Why did Jesus come? Why did He come? He came so that we could live. He came so that we could live. That's why He came. He came so that we could live the God kind of life. Not some kind of fake, pathetic, materialistic, self-centered, self-gratifying lifestyle. Not some lifestyle that advertisers are trying to sell us so that our neighbors or people we see as successful and prosperous Prosperous are telling us we need to live. He came so that we could live God's life. The God kind of life. The kind of life that is so, so real that we have joy on the inside when there is no human reason to have joy on the outside. The kind of life where there's no reason that anybody should have any peace. There's just too much junk going on around us. And yet there's peace peace in here that goes beyond our human ability to even understand it. It's God's peace. That's the God kind of life. A life that is connected to Him. Connected to His power. When Jesus had been crucified and He's lying in that tomb what brought Him back to life? Anybody? The Holy Spirit. Think about that. We didn't have a prayer meeting and pray for Jesus to come back to life. Nobody was wishing that Jesus would come back to life. Nobody was reading Bible verses. Nobody was positively confessing that Jesus would come back to life. The Holy Spirit made him alive. Now get this. I wonder if we even realize this. If we are followers of Christ... That very same Spirit, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. The resurrection power of God dwells in us. We're followers of Jesus. So why did He come? So we could live, really live the God kind of life. Jesus' purpose statement, I think, is found in John chapter 10, verse 10. Just one chapter back from where we are. And if you don't already have this verse circled, underlined, starred in your Bible, highlighted, you need to. Because Jesus says this. First, he talks about our enemy's purpose. The thief's purpose, he says, is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them A rich and satisfying life. Jesus came so that we could live. He came so that we could stop looking like dead people and stop dressing like people who belong in a tomb and stop talking like dead people and thinking like dead people. Stop acting like dead people. Jesus came so that we could live. Watch what he did. He watch what he did in in, in John eleven. He looked up to the heaven and he prayed. And then he said, roll that stone away. Move that stone out from in front of the tomb. And and then verse 43 says, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Say it. Lazarus, come out. Say it louder than that. Lazarus, come, come out. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus said, take the grave clothes off of him. Take anything off that looks like death. Take it off. Get rid of it. Get rid of the dead things. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins, but we're now alive in Christ. Take off the dead things. Get rid of them. Well, I'm never going to amount to anything. I I guess I'm always going to be miserable. I'm always going to be in debt. God answers other people's prayers. He don't answer mine. I'm never going to overcome my problem, my issue, my addiction. I'm never going to get past this situation or this circumstance. Stop thinking like death. Stop thinking death. Stop acting like a dead person. Come out! Hey folks, either God is real or this is all a joke. Either we believe Him or we're just playing a game here. We gotta get our heads around. words, folks, as far as God is concerned, four days dead is the same as not dead at all. Do you see? It? He can speak the word and dead things come back to life. What's dead inside of you? Let him bring it back to life. Hey, folks, maybe one time you had a relationship with him and it was just like your feet never even touched the ground. Your Bible hovered above the table. Now there's nothing. Let him bring it back to life. Maybe one time you had a vision that you could make a difference and now you're just stuck in some rut, in some hole. Stuck. Let him bring it back to life. You had this big hope. You were going to lead this person that you cared about to faith in Christ. You used to have that hope. But now you don't. Let him not bring it back to life. He specializes in bringing dead things back to life. What is dead in you? What's dying in you? That he wants to make live. See you and I. We see dead people. When God shows up. He makes dead things alive. Let's pray together.